Welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on our church, visit c3church.narara.net. What a great intro. Thanks, Pastor Chris. Okay, I'm going to test you guys out for participation. You're on board with me, Frosty? All right. <laughs> All right. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Nice. Once a jolly swagman. Nice. Okay, does it, does it. And last one. In joyful strains, then let us sing. Great job. 10 out of 10 for participation. Okay, so having done that, I've got you all engaged. I want to get a little bit personal. Ask you a little bit of an awkward question. Okay, you ready? Ready? Don't get offended with me. You're not allowed to. What is your ethnicity and what is your genetic makeup? Ooh, it's a weird one to ask on a Sunday morning. Getting a bit deep. And can you change those things? Okay, so as Aussies, we're a bit of an eclectic mix of ethnic backgrounds, all right? We're, we're just all piled in together. There's a whole bunch of us, but we're Australians. We're Aussies. We've got, like, this sense of pride in being underdogs, built on convicts. We're built on mateship and hardship and, you know, there's this uh, poem, I love a sunburnt country, a land of sweeping plains, of rugged mountain ranges, of droughts and flooding rains, okay? Is this... There's a sense of pride in being an Aussie, right, in our nation and collectively as our ethnicity. There's also uh, a genetic side to our makeup. Um, I've married into the Harrisons, okay? I love my Harrisons and there's a real sense of pride in being a Harrison. Um, And as a group, they wouldn't look out of place on the set of a Vikings or Braveheart movie. They just, they're a rugged looking bunch, but I love them. Um, even my kids have this sense of pride in being a Harrison. So much so that they don't even remember what my maiden name is. I've told them many a time what my maiden name is. They don't remember it. And the only time it's ever referred to is if there's a genetically flawed thing. So they'll be complaining, oh, I've got crooked chief. It must be a butcher thing. Now, my maiden name was not butcher. My maiden name was Boyer. And in fact, it's French, Boyer. And it's even royalty, okay? So, but they, they don't even care about that. It's only ever referred to in, oh, I've got crooked teeth. That must be a mum thing. And they don't even remember my last name. There's this sense of pride in their genetic makeup, all right? So what is your ethnicity and what's your genetic makeup? Can you change it? So what I'm asking is, who are you and where do you belong? All right? In 1 Peter 2, which is, you know, our whole theme for this month, it talks about two kinds of peoples, right? Let me show you. It says uh, in 1 Peter 2, 7 to 10, it says, Therefore, to you who believe, he's precious. But to those who are disobedient, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light, who once were not a people but now the people of God. I keep having this pop-up come up. Who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. So there's two types of peoples that that is referring to. Um, And it's as simple as this. They're the people who choose the kingdom of God and the people who don't. They choose the kingdom of heaven that Jesus bought, that Jesus, you know, talked about the kingdom of heaven so much when he was um, walking on this planet. And then there's the people who choose not to be in that kingdom. To some, Jesus is precious and anchor and a foundation And to others, he's offensive, okay? A painful annoyance that they stumble over. And I was thinking about it. God has placed eternity into the hearts of all men, all right? So he's laid that cornerstone in every person's life. Every person has that foundation stone of Jesus placed in their life. Then it's our choice whether we choose to build on it. So if I'm building a house and the foundation stone is already built for me and I choose to build my house over here, that foundation stone is still laid already. So it's like I walk out of my front door and then I stumble over this stone that's always there because I chose not to build upon it. That's what Jesus is like in people's lives when they choose not to build their life on his foundation. He becomes an annoyance, an offence. They're like, ugh, I don't want to deal with that Jesus thing, but they're always stumbling over it. So it's, it's, he becomes an annoyance. So we have these two groups. One group, like I said, stumbles. A rock of offence, a stone of stumbling. They stumble being disobedient. But you are a chosen generation. The disobedient, it also says, to which they were also appointed. And then further down it says... The chosen people. Now, I want to have a bit of a side note here. Predestination, the whole Calvinism, Arminianism, it's a debate that's boring, and I'm not going to go there. Okay, you want to talk about it? Pastor Chris would love to talk to you about it after. (laughs) I will say only this. Jesus died for all sins, so all could come to the Father through him. That is the truth. Yes, God knows all. And yes, it is our choice whether we choose him. How those two things marry together, I don't know. But I know that God knows. And so that's where the faith part comes in and I'm okay with that. So as to which people we belong, in verse 9 it says chosen people. Okay, the word people there, if you translate it, it was originally genos. All right? So the word genos is where we get genes or genetics. So what is your, your chosen genetics? Okay, a spiritual genetics. Now, I'm not going all Hitler here and saying, you know, you've got to be like all Aryan or whatever. No, I'm, I'm talking about a spiritual genetic belonging, like a family, as in the family of God, as in sons and daughters of God. Okay, in verse 9, it also says you are a holy nation. And the word nation refers to ethnos, where we get the word ethnicity. Which is why I pose the question, 
What is your ethnicity and what is your genetic makeup? Because here it says that we have an option to change it. We can be God's chosen people, his genetic makeup, or we can be his holy nation, his ethnicity. And so God chose all of us, but do we choose him? And if we do choose him, do we live in that kingdom that we have been appointed to? Because some Christians live like they're still stumbling. Stumbling through life, not claiming the spiritual position of royalty and holiness. It says a prized possession of God. Do you have a prized possession? I was trying to think through all of the prized possessions I have. I don't, you know, I don't want to be all humble, but I don't have a lot of things that I, I really love except for like, you know, cute little knickknacks and stuff. My kids, obviously, but my husband, he has prized possessions. Now, I can't be exactly sure how many motorbikes I have in my shed. I'm going to say around about six or seven. There's this one in particular is his prized possession, okay? And it's like a, I'm going to say a Yamaha 500. (laughs) I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and he's offended already. (laughs) Anyway, he's doing it up and so he takes so much care. It's his prized possession. It says that we are his precious, prized possession. God's. How does he treat that? Like, let let your mind shift a little bit. How do you treat a prized possession? You care for it. You look at it. It's, it's safe. It's, it's prized. It's precious. You guys are that. If you're a part of the kingdom of heaven, you are God's prized possession. There's something like so freeing and special. And oh, he looks at you with this prized possession as his prized possession. So how can we show others if we are not living under all of this? If we are not going, he's, I am his prized possession, I'm a royal priesthood, I'm a holy nation, I'm a chosen people. If we are not living a life that expresses this, how on earth are we showing others the goodness of God? Because that's what a, we live in this kingdom, not just for our own sakes, but we live in this kingdom to show other people This is God's goodness, guys. This is God's goodness. Like Ivan talked about, the bait. This is God's goodness. So what is your spiritual ethnicity? What is your genetic makeup? Because you can change it. And you only have one of two options, really. You either stumble over Jesus or you have him as your foundation. No identity in Christ or an identity as God's people. Having no mercy or receiving mercy darkness or wonderful light, chosen, royal priests, holy nation, God's special possession, or not. So if you know your ethnos and your genos, your family and your nation is that of the kingdom of God, please live like it. Talk to him and understand how do I live like this? An identity founded on royalty, holiness, chosen and prized. So I'm going to finish there. And I'm going to pass it on to the other Aaron. Yeah. Wow, that's a, awesome. I kind of wish I had gone first. <laughs> um, 
Just continuing on in First Peter, I just want to start with the scripture. Therefore, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether as the king is supreme or to the governors or to those that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honour all people, love the brotherhood, fear God and honour the king. I love this. This is so cool. And I love that illustration Aaron said with the prized possession. If you're fixing up a prized possession, like if Simon's fixing up this bike, he's going to pull it apart, <laughs> clean all the pieces and put it back together, right? Like, And I... In order for the bike to do that, it's kind of just got to go with it. It's got to submit to Simon or he's going to get a big hammer out. And You know when an old, you know, a screw gets, a bolt or something gets stuck, you've got to see Dale, you know, bang, bang, bang and get it off there. So if you just submit and let the bolt come out, it's much, much friendlier. <laughs> so submit, I mean seriously, what a word. <laughs> We just love it so much in this country, don't we? Like, <laughs> I, um, Dale sometimes will say to our kids, you need to obey straight away. And I remember being somewhere a little bit public and he said, you need to obey me. And, you know, there's some non-Christians there just looked at him like, what? Like, who does that? Like, you don't expect even children to obey in our society, you know? It's, a, it's quite a foreign concept, but it's, it's something that when we do it and we do it well, it sets us up right in God. It sets us up for life. It, it protects us. It, it gives us freedom. And it's something that sets us apart from the world. It's it's so outrageous, you know, especially in today's society. It's so outrageous. So when you do it, it's like people notice it. It's like, whoa, why do you do that? Why do you, you know, I have friends, why do you give all that time to church? Like, why are you doing that? And it's like, well, God's called me to it. So I kind of got to submit to that. So I love that that says we, we must submit for the Lord's sake. It's not for our sake, it's for God. And that's that same thing that we need to... We're not just living for ourselves, we're living to honour God. And in doing that, in, in submitting, we are honouring God. And you notice that scripture's not talking about submitting to God. It's talking about submitting to people. It's talking about submitting to government. It's talking about submitting to authority that is in our lives. And... We really do have a hard time submitting to authorities. I mean, our government and leadership, I just have to open up Facebook, especially just before the election and even after. And you get both sides of, you know, people that want both sides. And the things people say about our politicians and our prime minister, it's its disturbing, really. its It's awful. Like, this is a... This is a man who's given his life to serve our country. And you may not agree with everything that they say, but he's not an evil man. We haven't had an evil dictator in this country, you know? Like, we can get behind and support our Prime Minister, whether you agree with all his policies or not. And I would imagine that 
even if you voted for the guy, you probably don't agree with everything that he said anyway. But God has appointed that man in authority over this country. And we need to respectfully disagree. You know, you can... You don't... There's a way of disagreeing that is still submissive and and respectful. And, yeah, this is a bit serious, isn't it? (laughs) And, you know... I see that kind of disrespect in church as well. Um, You know, it's not always easy to submit to authority, but we need to remember that God sets up all the authority. He set up, you know, our government, but he set up the authority in this church as well. He's, He's placed Chris and Ruth as the pastors here, that carries an authority. And God has put that authority. It's not them just going, woohoo, I'm the... I'm the leader here, you have to do what I say. It's not God has placed an authority upon their lives. He's placed an authority on your connect group leader's life, on the leaders in your life, on the elders, on whoever your leader is. God has placed authority on their life. And that authority is something that you need to learn to submit to. You're not submitting just to the man for the man's whims. You're submitting to God when you submit to the man. We, we really need... I'm, I sometimes get concerned because we don't do this well. We do it really poorly. And I just think we don't want to become a generation of princesses who can't even submit to good, kind and loving authority. I mean, how are you going to submit to the worldly authority in your life day to day if you can't even submit to the pastors that we've got here who love you, who love you so much? They have laid down their whole lives to serve you. That's what a pastor is. Like, these guys have given up careers. They could have, Chris and Ruth, they're not um, stupid people, can I say that? They're like, they're smart people. They're clever. They have brains they've got big brains they have ability to to be successful and earn you know have great jobs and earn great money and they have given that up to serve you each and every individual here they've done that to serve you because they they love you they're called by God but they love you the way they speak about you guys when you're not here like over lunch They love this church and you're this church. They love you so much. And when you get that in your head, I think it just makes it a bit easier to go, okay, if they're asking me to do something, it must be good, you know? Like it's not, they're not asking you to do anything horrible. Submission is sometimes made more painful by our own sins and our own faults. You know, it can be a bit easier sometimes to submit when we're in a great place with God and we're, we love each other, it's a bit easier. But if you've got a bit of, oh, I don't like you or I'm a bit prideful or whatever and all of a sudden someone's saying, hey, you shouldn't be doing that, it's, it's a bit nasty. So I want to tell you about one of my big tests of submission and all of you, you're going to go through a submission test you're going to go through submission, submission tests in church. You'll go through several. This was a big one. There'll be smaller tests you do as well. Do well at the smaller tests. So when the big one comes, you prepare. So I used to be the youth leader here many, many years ago. I 
There's some old you people. We're all so old now. <laughs> um, I really loved those kids. I, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about how I could bless them, how I could teach them. I prayed for them. You know, I really, really loved, loved youth and loved the kids. I loved the process as well. I really felt I was called to serve them. And I did it with as much energy and passion and wisdom as I had at the time. And I don't fully remember the circumstances. I tend not to dwell on negative experiences too much. But there was a guy on our team who was very passionate. He, um, he had the youth leader look. You know, he had the piercings. He had the taps. He, um, he looked cool. He was cooler than I was ever, you know, going to be. Ever than I ever have been. He had a real exciting edge to him where I was, you know, the practical planner kind of person. And he was fantastic. He was a fantastic guy. We worked together visiting the local high schools. We, we did the youth together. Um, and it was good. We got on well. It was, there was no angst or anything. Not from my side anyway. I, I can't speak for him. But somewhere along the way, it was decided that he should run the youth group. And he had some big, exciting plans. I remember sitting down with him with all his plans and, you know, he'd draw things up. He had, like, mega, awesome, exciting plans. And I don't... That's all I can remember. I don't really know if there was other stuff going on. From what I remember, I didn't do anything wrong. Um, it was just... Thanks, Chris. <laughs> um, it was just decided. So one day there's the conversation where, you know, I'm told that it's decided that he's going to run the youth group. Someone relates. I heard that groan. That's exactly... That's exactly... You know that feeling when you told someone something and it's like the moment your life changes forever? It's like, I remember where I was. It's like, you know, where were you when Princess Diana died? I remember where I was when I was told I wasn't going to be running youth anymore. Um, (laughs) You know, my stomach dropped. Wave of grief came over me. My heart ached. My dream was just ripped away. My, my vision was gone. I had a plan for the next, you know, however long. And that was, it was gone. I kind of went numb and went home like, Ugh. And then it got a bit ugly because I started crying and couldn't stop. Have you ever done that where you just can't stop? And not just, oh, oh me. The, the ugly sobbing cry. The snot and the tears everywhere. I... I was, it was painful. It was really painful. It, um, I remember Chris coming over. It was before mobile phones. I think maybe they'd tried ringing the home number and I just wasn't answering and he came over. I think it was to see if I was okay. Could have been to pick something up. I don't know. But I opened the door and there I am. (laughs) Puffy eyes. And he's like, oh, you okay, you know? And I'm like, no. I feel like I've had a miscarriage. It, that's the kind of grief that it felt to me. This was something I imagined growing old running youth, you know. There was nothing beyond running youth for me. That was what I was going to do. I had met 
a 51-year-old youth leader. So I was like, I, I, this is what God has called me to do and I couldn't see beyond that. So can you feel the pain? It was very painful. So I didn't understand in that moment what Chris and Ruth were thinking. I didn't understand why God was letting it happen. I knew this other guy, he was fantastic, but I knew he couldn't run it. I, I kind of knew that already. He were, his passion was electric. He, were, he had the charisma and all of that stuff. His heart was really great. But that was my calling. That was my job. <laughs> you know, and I, at that point, I had a choice to make. Now, I could have chosen just to go, oh, well, I'm not doing youth, so I'm going to walk away. I could have sat in church and not done anything. I could have walked right out the door and said, well, you guys are idiots. I don't know what you're thinking, but this is my baby and you've just taken it off me, so there and gone somewhere else. Those options, really, I just think when you take those options, the devil's getting his way. Because if I stop serving and sit in church, yeah, I'm still here, I'm getting blessed, but no one else is. If I walk out the door and go to another church, I've got to sit there and get over that pain without the people that love me. I've got to try and get over that pain with people that don't even know me. That's a long process, you know, and I'm sitting there for however long, six months or whatever, not doing anything because they've got to get to know me before I can start really doing, making any big difference. It's not, it's not the answer. Going somewhere else, giving up, it's not the answer. So in that moment, I chose, I chose to grieve. I kept on... I was sad for a while. It wasn't like I had the big cry and got up and went, sunshine and roses, it's all great. I continued to grieve. I chose to not understand... I chose not to go and make an appointment and sit down and try and hash out the where's and why falls and who was right and who was wrong. And that's something that I see a lot. I often see the friend of someone going through something going, now if I can just get both sides of the story, then I'll be able to decide who's right. It's not your job. You're not judge. Like, that's God's job. You stay out of it. It's got nothing to do with you. And even if you know both sides of the story, it doesn't always make sense with God anyway. So just don't go there. I kept on doing youth. I chose to keep on doing youth. I chose to submit to this new guy and just be his support. I chose to submit to Chris and Ruth. I chose to keep showing up at youth group. I chose to keep doing whatever needed to be done. And I chose to be humbled, like it's pretty humbling. And I chose to keep serving even though it hurt. And it wasn't easy, it wasn't fun. But it really, it really is necessary to go through that because it changed something in me. It set me free. It, um, it set me a foundation to do what I'm doing now. Like, I'm running the children's ministry. It's actually... I feel like it's a much bigger ministry than the, the youth ministry. Uh, there's families involved. There's children. There's workers. It's crazy. Like, um, I, I learnt lessons through that. And, you know, it's funny because he ended up not doing it after a while. It was kind of like he ended up not doing the job anymore. And I was still doing it, even after he left. And, you know, you might look at that and go, oh, well, that was a mistake, putting him in that job. Like, but, you know, God is in control. And 
I don't necessarily think it was a mistake. I think that I don't even... Like, I can't even remember the details of everyone else, but I'm sure they had things going on in their, their world. But I... You know, God has a plan and we need to trust him. God is bigger than any person or any role or anything. If you are meant to be doing youth group, you are going to be doing youth group. I just wasn't the leader. I was still actually doing what I was called to do. I kept on doing what I was called to do. So, um, and you know, it was so long ago now. Who really cares? (laughs) You know, like, that. I wasted all that sobbing for... For what? Like I could have, I could have just, really, I could have just gone, okay, no worries. <laughs> just not done the grief and the crying part and just showed up at youth next week and kept going. Um, you know, and eventually I handed over youth and I'm doing what I'm, you know, doing now. I handed it over a long, long time ago. It's old, old news. Um... So submission doesn't always make sense, but you do it for the Lord's sake. If I had bailed, imagine all the kids in youth. Like, what would that have done to their little hearts, you know? Just to go, one day I love you and the next day I don't care about you anymore. Like, what an awful, awful thing. Um, Because I, I, I do love, you know, I did love them. I loved them so much. It was more than just me and my feelings and my pride and, and, and my... So, yeah... You can get over big hurts without going, pointing fingers at everyone else. Just go, okay, I don't understand, but I I understand that God's got a plan and I'm going to trust in him. You know, it's, it's, there's a bigger picture and it's not all about you. I just want to share, I'm running out of time, I want to share one more thing. Um, I love verse 17, it says, love the brotherhood. And who's the brotherhood? We are the brotherhood. We are the brotherhood. And I just want you all to know that I love you. All of you. You are my family and I love you. I might not talk to you very often. I might not... You know, I'm not a very affectionate person. I've probably only hugged about three people in the room. But I, I really do. I love you all so much. You, you're my family and I know Chris and Ruth love you. And I look around and I see some people who I know, and I know that they love you. And if you are in this church today and you're feeling unloved, step into the love because the love is here. The love is already here. Um, you know, that, that whole family thing, you might, I know I've had a bit of criticism against me because people think I don't like them or... They think whatever. I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional family. So my loving, you know, it might not look like what you think love is, but I, my way of loving you might be different of your way of loving me. But just accept I love you. I serve you because I love you. I pray for you because I love you. And if, if you are one of those people feeling a bit unloved today or any other day, bail me up and give me a hug. I'll hug you back, I promise. Um, <laughs> Because we, this, the way we love each other, the way we submit to that authority, it all sets us apart from the world and shows people the love of God. It shows Jesus. It's, it's like the next passage, you've got to go home and read it about servants submitting to masters. It's outrageous passage. Um, sit on it for a while. I, 
I'm still getting revelation on it. Um, it's, it's amazing just submitting to unjust people. I mean, let's get this submitting to the people that love us first <laughs> so we can get out there and, and go to the next level of, of portraying what Jesus did on the cross, his suffering, you know. He, he okay, I've got to read one more scripture. Is that all right? Just skipping like two pages of notes. I'm going straight to... Um, that verse 21 to 25 in the Message Bible. I just really love the way this is written. He says, This is the kind of life you've been invited into, the kind of life that Christ lived. He suffered everything that came his way so that you would know that it could be done and also know how to do it step by step. He never did one thing wrong. Not once said anything amiss. They called him every name in the book and he said nothing back. He suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. We hope you have enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.